Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. By no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful scenic quarantined elizabeth park nashville tennessee it is the 615 sessions podcast powered by tennessee tickets brought to you as always by a to z sports and a to z sports nashville.com so there has been a lot going on over the course of this week and not just within the societal realm. Unfortunately, on Wednesday, Tennessee icon, volunteer, legend Johnny Majors passed away at the age of 85. We're going to remember him today with our friend Jonathan Crompton, who played quarterback for the Vols in the NFL and in the CFL as well. He has some particularly good insights on what it is that made Johnny just totally embody Tennessee as as a state, as an entity, as a way of life that we will get to later in the show. We also have John Glennon of The Athletic, John Burton from News Channel 5, and our dear, dear, degenerate friend Julian Council. We're going to talk about how the hell Drew Brees got canceled on Wednesday because that happened fast, it happened quick, and it happened in a hurry. And frankly, it couldn't have happened fast enough. We will talk about that. We heard from Arthur Smith on Wednesday, the Titans offensive coordinator. We spent some time discussing how much Mike Vrabel can handle on his plate when it comes to defensive play calling and on some of the statements that were made by Tennessee and other sports organizations that, you know what, I'm not going to spoil the entire conversation. I'm going to let you get to it and give your own thoughts on it after you've heard it. So let's first get to John Glennon, Julian Council, and our dear friend JB, John Burton. Back here, 615 Session Podcast, powered by Tennessee Tickets, here on A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Everybody got very, very serious as soon as I said I was hitting the recording button. So we're hoping that we can bring some of the levity that was experienced prior to this with John Burton, Julian Council, and John Glennon, the panel that we have assembled before us. Boys, it has been a long time. Julian, I'm very upset to see you. Uh, JB, Johnny, I'm very pleased to see both of you. I'm frankly, I'm frankly just ashamed of whatever the hell that caterpillar-like thing is growing on my former friend Julian Council's face. Yeah, he's former got like friend. a Julian. You got like an an Arsenio Hall circa 1993 thing going there. What is that? 
Look, I've been letting the stash grow for about two years now. I get it managed by my barber, but I have not gone to the barber shop in what? Two and a half months now, so it's not my fault. I'm not gonna <laughs> use my own razor. And also, I can go to audio only if you want, Buck. I can take off the video. <laughs> I, gladly, I'll do it. So that's two years worth of work. Yeah, that's well, impressive. Wow. I do a reset on Labor Day. So I have a two years straight. I've done an annual reset of the, of the stash in Labor Day because it gets to a point where it's just not where I needed to be. So I'll restart it. But yeah. since about mid-March, I've let it go. And this is the result. It looks terrible. I get it. But at this point in time, <laughs> I just don't really care. As long as you understand how bad you look. Like oh, I I'm fully aware. Because <laughs> okay. I feel like I feel like in life you've kind of you kind of strayed from the path. I feel like without anybody to remind you to be self-aware that you're kind of evolving. <laughs> and now in Charlotte, you're allowed to do your own thing without any adult supervision. And now you show up on my screen looking like this. So yes, I'm allowed to be concerned. Don't worry. I saw my friends here who keep me in check. Yes. I'm I like the friend. fact that you're embracing it, though, Julian. That's yeah. That's you gotta cool. own it. You gotta own it, good, Julian. Good, good this job, is who I am. This is who I am. I'm, I'm not ashamed. I should be probably, but I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I uh, well, it's it, and it's the fact that you're not ashamed that is the the greatest concern of all. But we're here to talk about a variety of subjects today. We're obviously going to spend some time on actual things happening in football. We're also going to talk about the things happening in our country. We are going to talk about some feel good that Johnny has brought to the table in two different stories that he wrote for theathletic.com, which is where you can find his work, of course. Uh, but let's start with something that cannot be avoided since all of us spend a good deal of time on social media. The hell happened to Drew Brees today? Because all of a sudden, <laughs> Drew Brees went from NFL legend to scourge of social media, and now he is uh, – he. so, Johnny, on behalf of the white people, I will go to you first. What the hell? <laughs> Drew Brees. But no pressure. No pressure here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the I think the big disappointment there is that there had been a feeling maybe for the last couple of days that a lot of progress had been made in awareness, uh, in in kind of empathy and understanding. Um, you know, and, and obviously, as you said, I am a Caucasian speaking, so I, I to me it seemed like progress was being made anyway. Um, and then, you know, for, for Drew Brees to, to kind of go back to the exact same stance that maybe started a lot of these events years ago, you know, I, I think that really touched a chord, uh, you know, in, in a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of his teammates, certainly as well, um, because, you know, what, what you know, Drew Brees is saying essentially is, Okay, you know, I, I see what's been happening and so forth, but the issue in the, in the first place, the issue that Colin Kaepernick was bringing attention to by kneeling on the field, that's not all that important to me. What's more important to me is, is the American flag. Um, so I think that was a, a, certainly a big disappointment to, to a lot of people out there. And, and uh, you know, I, as I say, I think even one of his teammates – um, said, love, I love you, Drew Brees, great leader, but, you know, you need to just shut up here. It's, it's uh, <laughs> not the right thing to say. Well, yeah, Malcolm Julian, Jenkins went after him. Julian yeah. came on here and accused me of playing ask the black guy. So instead I threw a curveball <laughs> and went right to, the right, right, right to the white guy. Go now, you're, Julian Council. Now you're we just, the best. just like America, Buck, asking the white guy first. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tell him, Julian. Oh, tell him. Fight the power. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> obviously, sneak away from it. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it's frustrating to hear Drew Brees say those words a day after the whole hashtag Blackout Tuesday, and he was one of the guys that put out the black squares. And I told a lot of my friends yesterday, like, cool, you can put out a black square, but that doesn't necessarily change anything. If it makes you feel better, great, but that's not progress. That's not really taking a step forward to where we need to go. And just the fact that he's talking about every time he sees a flag and thinks about the anthem, he thinks about his grandfathers who served back in World War II. Like, my grandfather served in World War II as well. And he wasn't allowed to fight next to a white men. And when he came back to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Jim Crow South, he wasn't afforded the same opportunities. He was seen as subhuman, as a second-rate citizen. And he fought for that same flag and for the same rights that people have in this country as Drew Brees' uh, grandfather. My, my dad, he was in the Army. And he's told me multiple times that the most overt racism that he's ever faced in his life, mind you, a guy who was born in the South in 1953, so went to segregated schools for the majority of his life up until high school, he said the most overt racism he ever felt was when he – was in the army serving this country. So the fact that people try to make about the military, I just never understood. Cause yeah, fine. That, that's how you feel with the flag? That's how you feel about the flag. But that's not what the mess has ever been about. And also the military is a diverse organization. There's not just white people in it. It's not just black people, there's Hispanics. There's plenty of people who've been a part of the military throughout its history. So I never understood why anyone would use that as a reason to try and dismiss that message that Colin Kaepernick's tried to put out there. And for Drew Brees, who's had four years since Cap first kneeled, and he's on a team really the last 20 years of his life at Purdue and at the New Orleans Saints. He spent the majority of his time amongst black people. And for whatever reason, he still doesn't get the message. I saw Cameron Jordan was out on Twitter, and he had said that it's kind of it's on him that he hasn't included Drew Brees in some of these conversations. But still. Of, uh, echoing uh, Julian's comments here, because what happened was the message got lost. And, you know, I thought – the recent events would have put into focus what Colin Kaepernick was kneeling about. You know, it's not about disrespecting the flag. It's not about disrespecting our country. It's not just, it's not about disrespecting veterans. My dad was a veteran, served 20 years in the United States Air Force. You know, it was about protesting social injustice for people of color and calling attention to it. And sometimes when you protest, yeah, you got to make people a little bit uncomfortable. But it wasn't like he ran out onto the field and, you know, tried to grab the flag from the color guard or, or rip it up or burn it or anything like that. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, Drew Brees, apparently, for as much as a great uh, player that he's been and a great community man in the city of New Orleans, it's obvious he doesn't get the meaning. And that's sad because he's, he was considered – he was. I don't know if he still is, but he was considered one of the leaders of the National Football League uh, in all facets. And for him to – kind of go that route and the, the reaction he's getting, I mean, you know, it's a social media age. Sometimes you get what you deserve and uh, he's, he's, he's feeling it right now. And I, you know, as much as I have respected Drew Brees' career and what he's done on and off the field, I'm very disappointed in him right now. Well, and it's, it's interesting because this is the kind of, it's, it's like the me too, the me too movement where you're going, going on social media and you're saying, Oh, Damn, they got another one. They got Drew Brees. They got Drew Brees. They took him down. Legend of the NFL. But we, we put people in sports, and this is – I didn't start there without a purpose because I want to talk about the statement that the Titans made and the statement that Mike Brabel made and the kind of expectation that we should have of people in professional sports when it comes 
to things like this? Because I don't – there should be an expectation, given Drew Brees' platform, given that NFL franchises and professional sports franchises and leagues are su- subject to tax breaks and things like that that tie them in to not quite government, but there is a connection there that that would there would be that would create the expectation for them to speak on things when so many people are looking to them for leadership, what they're supposed to embody, leadership. And so I see the Tennessee Titans take six days, the better part of six days since the murder of George Floyd, which is the subject for all of these things, the thing that seems to have sparked the latest spark on a powder keg that will hopefully last a little longer than previous ones that have fizzled out because they're not as blatant as what took place on social media and what social media has exposed. The Titans, along with many other professional sports franchises, many other figures in sports, come out with this statement yesterday saying, quote, we reject racism in every form and are committed to being a part of the generation that ends it. Mike Brabel popped into our Zoom call yesterday with Titans Media and made a about a three-and-a-half-minute statement of his own, citing his lack of awareness about privilege that he has had and how he will work to better himself in terms of this and the men whom he is tasked with leading. But I look at that statement that I've just read for you guys and for the audience, and I don't know what my, my expectation was, but that left me – left me wanting more. And without action, all of the words mean nothing. But I'm wondering if you guys think I'm justified in that reaction, because my first, my, first, my first impression of it was you didn't even mention the issue here. Where is the story? <laughs> yeah. There is no mention of that's all of these. Ben and Jerry's coming harder than your favorite uh, NFL team. <laughs> At the, at the cause of police brutality against African Americans. And meanwhile, it takes the Titans six days to say, no, we're not racist. We don't support racism. That's what yeah, you Thumbs down. With. Thumbs down to racism. Bad. Racism yeah. is so bad. We don't like that. We, we don't like that stuff around here. Johnny, I, am, I, am, I wrong in, am I wrong in having that reaction when attacking the statement really doesn't do anybody any good? Yeah, I know. I, I, th- I think you're uh, along the right lines there. I, I, I kind of thought the same way myself. Um, and, and even in Mike Vrabel's statement, there, there were there were a couple things, you know, I, I thought he was very honest in, in some ways and saying that he had a, a, you know, a social blind spot, uh, either that he was unaware of or, or that, um, you know, he, he chose not to see. Uh, you know, he, he acknowledged that, that certainly he's, uh, you know, he's had white privilege in a lot of ways throughout his life. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the general statement, that's, that's the thing that struck me too, is that mention why you're making this statement, you know, what's, right. what's the cause that, that led to this, uh, mention George Floyd, mention, uh, the fact that there is, uh, you know, from all accounts and, and, you know, uh, systemic, uh, pattern of, of racism, uh, going on here. Uh, you know, mention some of the current events in, instead of just saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're down on racism. Well, you know, you're, you're not, that's not really going out on too much of a, of a limb there. And, and uh, you know, I, I understand the fact that they're probably trying to walk a very uh, narrow line, but, you know, there, there are some uh, points in, in life, some issues 
that you have to say, okay, I, I have to go push a little more. I have to be not so scared to walk this narrow line. I have to, to show a belief in what I think is right. Uh, and when you're not mentioning, as I say, George Floyd, as you're not, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Vrabel never used the word racism uh, at all in, in his comments whatsoever. When you're kind of brushing it over and just saying, you know, let's be better. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I think they could have done uh, a bit more in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I find it kind of disingenuous that they wait six days to go out and put a statement, and then they don't even bring up the root of the issue. Well, they hit and it doesn't really... Tannehill. Tannehill yeah. is stronger on it than anything. Tannehill sure. was the first <laughs> out there. And, again, low bar, but Tannehill got out there, and they essentially hit behind the quarterback statement. Because <laughs> quarterback is, is, is the uh, un, unmentioned arm of management at that point. The unmentioned – it's an extension of management for these NFL. But it's it's still important that he said something though, because like with the Drew Brees, like he's one of the faces of that, or one of the faces of the NFL. He's the face of the New Orleans Saints. And I've thought from the beginning, if guys like Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady came out and supported Kaepernick, then maybe we would have gotten progress because those people who were against Cap might have actually listened to those guys. Because the messenger is pretty important when he comes across the message. Because a lot of people look at Kaepernick. And the pig socks and the, and the Fidel Castro T-shirt. We're like, well, don't need to listen to that guy because he made so many mistakes. He, he, he was imperfect. Now, if it had been Brady or Rogers, yeah. Rogers has his own issues. People might have listened, but any NFL team that puts out a statement, I don't care. I mean, this is the same league that blackballed <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. Like, you're not going to change my thoughts on how the league goes, and you're not going to change uh, your actions. Are proven. Especially like in Tennessee, I mean, Marcus Mariota is going to be franchise quarterback. They brought in Tannehill. They clearly could have brought in a quarterback. They could have signed Cap instead of giving Tannehill that kind of money to hopefully make it back to AFC title game next year. Like they, they've had opportunities. So let's not sit here and act as if they really are about the message and about the fight. And they're back in the market for a backup quarterback, JB. And no mention of Colin Kaepernick anywhere in the great state of Tennessee. None none whatsoever. Uh, Colin Kaepernick will not be back in the National Football League. I'd be willing to bet the family farm back in Westmoreland, New York. We don't really have a farm. But you you know where I'm getting at. Yeah, no, no, we don't have a farm. But, (laughs) hey, you know, a bunch of teams have actually – What's that, Johnny? I said, but if you did. But if I did, yeah. So a bunch of teams have come out and made statements. You guys know me. I'm a lifelong New York Giants fan. They made a statement today uh, or issued a statement today uh, pretty similar to what the Titans did. And you heard what Vic Fangio said when he totally put his foot in his mouth. He said, the NFL is not racist. And like Julian said, this is the league that blackballed, their, you know, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, this is the league. And, and that, the league you know, that, that can't seem to find a way to right. hire uh, coaches minority that, that yeah, you know, is bending exactly. over backwards and still can't solve that issue. Yeah, you got you got guys like Eric Bieniemy and Robert Salah who were more than qualified head coaching candidates who didn't get head coaching jobs. And listen, my team is is a, is a is a suspect in this too. You hire a guy like Joe Judge, an unproven special teams coach, over two highly qualified minority candidates. You know, the Giants were the last team I believe in the NFL to start an African American quarterback, but. These things are out there, right? And for Vic Fangio to say, there's no racism in the National Football League. What do you mean? Racism? Where, what do you, the league's 75% black. What are you talking about? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what John said is true. These teams are really trying to walk that fine line and, and not, you know, and not fan the flames, if you will. But it would have been nice, Buck, to your, to, to your comments, 
you know, to basically just come out and say, hey, what happened to George Floyd was patently wrong, patently racist, and we don't stand for that crap here in this organization. I mean, the only places I've really seen it happen is with UConn women's basketball. The Tampa Bay Rays came out had a pretty um, hard-line stance. I, I say, like, the New York ben Knicks, James Dolan. Get James Dolan, who's a – Ben and Jerry's. Well, I'm talking about sports teams. Oh. Like, the New York Knicks not putting out a statement. They had the leaked mm-hmm. email yesterday. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I kind of respect it because James Dolan clearly does not care about that stuff. So I'd rather right. him not put and out a statement. And, and he's an idiot. And he's an idiot, Julian. Anything that guy, anything that comes out of that mouth can, that guy's mouth can only be bad. Yeah, I, like, I would prefer a team not to put out a statement than, than to put out what the Titans put out or put out something that doesn't even address the issue because clearly, you know, you don't mean what you say and you have, you don't care about the issue at hand. Well, it's just that, you know, if you were living in, a, in some kind of a vacuum, uh, you know, and you only started tuning in the last few days and you saw this endless string of statements coming out from teams uh, saying that they're, they're down on racism, you know, you would find yourself going, why, why are all these statements coming out? Because very few of them actually mention, as we said, the actual incident, the George right. Floyd incident that led to this, or, you know, the fact that there have been several other police incidents in the past that are, that are you know, questionable at best. None of these are, are mentioned. It's just a, a, a kind of a blanket. We're, we're down on racism kind of thing. And Julian, I got to give props to your guy, MJ, uh, because I've killed him for years yeah. about not stepping up uh, for social issues. You know, I saw kids, uh, I saw stories, I should say, of kids getting killed in the streets in the 80s and 90s over his shoes. He never, he, there was no statement then. He never did a press conference saying, hey, this is wrong. Stop doing this. He never went to Nike and said, hey, maybe we need to lower the price of these shoes. He didn't do anything. And he actually issued a pretty uh, pointed statement on Sunday. So I, I actually have, for once, LeBron guy here. I got to give MJ props. Yeah, well, I mean, now that MJ is a made man, he can basically say everything since his bottom yep. line's not questioned. So, look, they said something. Uh, good for him. But <laughs> you, can feel, you can feel better about being a Tar Heel fan now, Julian. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just oh, why because they stink and it's justice and made <laughs> the tournament this year. When it comes to MJ, I don't really care what he says. Like I need the Hornets to start winning basketball games. And he's <laughs> had he's had plenty of missed opportunities to come out and say and take a hard line stance in social justice in his country. And really at this yeah. point in time, he had he had to say something. Yeah, you're right. You've got you're a, right. Are you saying you've got a social blind spot when it comes to Michael Jordan, Julian? <laughs> uh, it's just it's not a topic I want to discuss. I understand. <laughs> well, for somebody who's had a social blind spot for so long, such as Michael Jordan, I think those those blind spots can be allowed. Um, let's talk about actual football because Julian actually has, for once in his life, some uh, some knowledge of a situation that we are going to discuss that relates to both the Tennessee Titans and the Carolina Panthers, the professional football team that resides where Julian lives. Defensive play calling head coaches is something that continues to be discussed around here because Dean Pease has retired. Mike Brabel, it is assumed there is knowledge in the building, as reported by our friend Teron Davenport, that Mike will be assuming these play calling roles. Julian just recently rid himself of a defensive play calling head coach in Ron Rivera, who now uh, coaches for the aforementioned socially blind 
Washington racial slurs who also supported uh, the movement in Blackout Tuesday yesterday in a moment of just delightful, uh, delightful, delightful lacking of self-awareness. Oh, man. Truly to see Washington go down that way. But anyway, Ron Rivera now in Washington. Julian, what is the greatest concern? What is the greatest issue you experienced with Ron Rivera as a defensive play calling head coach? Well, the biggest issue last year in his final season was that he listened to the owner and decided to go away from the 4-3 scheme that he had for the previous eight years and went to a 3-4, which he wasn't accustomed to, and he took on all the play-calling duties. Like, he had never done that throughout his career when he had Greg McDermott, Sean McDermott, rather, who's now up in Buffalo. He had still Steve Wilkes, who had a one-year job in Arizona, talking about a coach, black coach, only got one year, and we're getting fired, but, no, you know. he's done. You know, forget about that. He's done. <laughs> yeah, he's done. So he had two. Not he's done. He's stunk. He stunk. He stunk. Yeah, he did. He did. He did stink. He did stink. But generally, most coaches, even that stink, get more than one year. But (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a Giants fan. Pat Shermer got two years. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But last year, the biggest issue for Ron Rivera was that he was operating a defense that he had not coordinated for since he was the defensive coordinator under North Turner back in San Diego 10 years ago. So that's that's an issue. I thought Ron was a great coach when he was here in Carolina, back when he had two head coaches. Now with, with Steve Wilkes and Sean McDermott, that helped him out. He had to focus on the defensively t- entirety. But last year when he had to do all that and there was all the pressure, that was his biggest issue. Like, outside of that, I don't really think the setup would have been that bad had he been a 4-3. It just once you lose your quarterback to Cam Newton, I mean, that's really the biggest issue is when you don't have a quarterback – and then you have a scheme where you don't have enough players that fit into that scheme. You can't stop the run. That's where the issue lies. And so, Johnny, this is something that Brable has harped on time and time again with this transition is that they value both players and coaches who understand their scheme, the scheme that they are familiar with. What it sounds like with Ron Rivera is he was asked to move away from what he knows. What Brable has done is surround himself with familiarity from coaches that used to be on his staff in uh, or in this on the same staff uh, as him in Houston when he was a uh, defensive coordinator. He has that experience. He has Jim Hazlitt, another one of these coaches who was responsible for drafting him and coaching him up earlier in his career. So he has familiarity there. Is this the situation where it could work and not be too much on Mike Brable's plate? Personally, I, I I think it's going to happen, uh, um, you know, and, and, and one of the reasons I think, too, is this is such a strange year. Uh, we're, we're lacking so much in the offseason. You know, maybe maybe Mike Frabel at one point perhaps was thinking, hey, maybe I'll take a look at how, uh, you know, Jim Hazlitt, uh, you know, handles the guys in, in OTAs, you know, if he's a right feel, a right fit, or, or if it's a Shane Bowen, if he's a right feel, a right fit during all these OTAs and, and offseason drills and getting to know players. Uh, we don't have any of that. You know, it's, it's looking like we're not going to, uh, you know, have players in this facility until training camp, at least, you know, from reports that we heard today. I think all that kind of points in, in the favor to me of, of Mike Vrabel um, keeping the or, or taking the uh, defensive coordinator's job. I think it's an awful lot to throw on a guy like Jim Hazlitt when he's introducing himself to players on the first day of training camp in person to say, by the way, you'll also be calling plays, so get used to that in the next couple of weeks also. 
Um, and in some sense, Shane Bowen, too, obviously familiarity with the players, but never having called plays before. At least Hazlitt has done that for, for other teams. So, I, you know, Vrabel is the one guy that has the familiarity with players, with schemes. You know, he had a, a hand in, in so much of this defense last year anyway. So I think all signs kind of point to to Mike Vrabel uh, taking that. And, and honestly, I don't know if that's such a good thing because, to me, one of the best things about Mike Vrabel um, is that he is such a bundle of energy and he has so much intrigue and interest and enthusiasm in every part of the team um, that he used that last year to make a lot of different parts of this team better. You know, and, and I think if you're defensive coordinator, that takes – you know, it adds to your responsibilities, it adds to what's on your plate, and it takes a little bit away from Mike. what made Mike Vrabel so good is that he had the ability to kind of move around, to do whatever he wanted, to, to put whatever responsibilities that week uh, on his plate that he needed. So I, I think that that might hurt the Titans a little bit in that respect, but I do think it's going to, to happen nonetheless. Yeah, I agree with John. I, I don't like the idea of my head coach calling plays either offensively or defensively. I know that was all the rage for a while. I, I remember Tommy Smith when Ken Wisenhunt got hired uh, said, I love the fact that he calls his own plays and somebody asked him why. He said, I don't know. I just like it. Okay. And we saw how that turned out. But I think I agree with John. I think Rabel's better as a game day CEO type game manager type guy. I'd rather see a situation to where, you know, Vrabel and Hazlitt kind of work the game plan together during the week. Then on game day, Hazlitt calls the plays, obviously with veto power from Mike Vrabel because he's the head coach. But I would, I would actually like to see Jim Hazlitt more as the pseudo play-calling defensive coordinator on game days. I just think it's a better fit. I think Vrabel's value, as John said, is more like that game day CEO, overseer of everything during uh, the three hours out there on the field. I'll say this real quick, dude. I think it's important, you know, how much faith does he have in offense coordinator Arthur Smith? Because you look at other setups in the league, Sean McVay, he calls plays for the Rams. He had Wade Phillips, who had been a former head coach, and he was one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. San Francisco just went to the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the head coach calling the plays. And you brought up Robert Sala earlier as a guy who could be one of the top head coaching candidates as their defensive coordinator. What if you I have got? trust – yeah, what are, you're your guy, Buck. My guy. So if you – it's, so it's really – it falls down more so to if he can entrust the offense into Arthur Smith to take care of that instead of trying to, you know, go and be the CEO of the entire team. If you have trust in your, in your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, then I think those situations can work, with, especially with the Titans, with Mike Vrabel going to move towards that. It's going to be interesting to see how he balances because, as, as Johnny mentioned, it, what makes him so different is that he is involved in, in a way that I don't think – I think a lot of coaches say they are involved in all the meetings, but this dude is actually in here because it's as much about him learning and him growing as a teacher for these guys. It's why people who know football so well, like Jarrell Casey and Urban Meyer and name after name Bill Belichick, why they respect Mike Brable because of his intellect and his ability to adapt and evolve which is, at the end of the day, what we accuse so many of these coaches of not being able to do. We are running out of time because my bosses are cheap and we have not upgraded the Zoom capacity. <laughs> so I will take them out for that and, uh, and see if my public outcries can't be heard. Johnny, though, wrote a couple of cool stories that I wanted to make sure that we got to briefly, though, Johnny. You wrote something about the daughter of John Robinson, uh, who has been dealing with some adversity of her own, 
and an interesting uh, feel-good angle that helps, you know, helps us all be grateful for what a lot of us have and a lot of us take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Taylor Robinson is 14 years old. She's dealing with three autoimmune diseases. Um, and uh, this time of the COVID-19, uh, what that means is, you know, she, she takes medicine naturally to counteract her own immune system. So it suppresses the immune system, which in turn makes her vulner more vulnerable to, uh, to a serious consequences from things like coronavirus. So she's, uh, you know, we've all been kind of in isolation. She even more so. But, you know, uh, this girl is a, is a tough, tough girl. Uh, if you read the story, you'll see some pretty good examples of, uh, of, of why that is the case, uh, dealing very, um, uh, in a very positive way, despite these three conditions that uh, she's affected by. And, and uh, you know, uh, her, her parents, John Robinson, could not be more proud of her. I think it's, it's, a, it's a feel good, it's a, it's a form and fuzzy story. And, and we need a few of those this time. Amen, brother. Yep. Find all those and much more great work by John Glennon, Titans reporter for The Athletic at theathletic.com. Well worth your subscription. You can find my man, John Burton, on News Channel 5, their excellent sports coverage there with our good friend Steve Lehman. And you can find Julian Council, it appears, dumpster diving or somewhere <laughs> Uh, some I, I don't know where you've been, but you look you look like you might be a carrier of the Rona, and I'm deeply concerned. <laughs> At Julian Council is where you wow. all of your Charlotte Hornet stakes. See, I did all of that and didn't even play Ask the Black Guy today. You're welcome. Wow, wow, that's fine, man. That's fine. I'm I'm used to it. Are you going into quarantine for two weeks after this show, Julian? After that remote. <laughs> I, might I feel like I need a 14-day quarantine from you after being on this podcast. <laughs> Look, uh, the barbershops are open in North Carolina, so maybe I should get this taken care of. Maybe I should stop delaying it since the next time. So next time I see Buck, I don't get torched. But either way, like the thing is, he's going to do this to me no matter what. So yeah, that's true. Got to take it all, in stride. All seriousness, Julian, uh, happy for you, man. And uh, I know you're doing great things out there, Charlotte. We miss you here in Nashville, bro. Oh, I miss yeah, you guys too. I don't miss you. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> I know you. Yeah. Five Sessions podcast. We appreciate our guests as always for stopping by. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets. A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Very pleased to have on, and for the YouTube audience, the first time that I'm actually getting to see our friend Jonathan Crompton, former Vols quarterback, former NFL, CFL quarterback, now down in Asheville, helping them out with all of your real estate needs. You can check him out on Twitter, at jcromp 8 Jonathan Crompton, it is good to see you, my brother, and it is good to talk to you. Uh, as well. It's, just, it's just nice to talk to people at this point, to, to, have, to, to have conversations with other humans. I'm just happy for it. It's the bar. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> me, and, me and my wife are obviously best friends. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's been times where I know she hasn't said it, or she's like, okay, you need to call somebody. <laughs> you need to do something. You know what I mean? It's just, but it, you know, hopefully everybody out there is doing well. Um, and the, with the times we're in, um, 
kind of hopefully everybody's encouraged in the sense of understanding we are coming together as a nation in these bad times. I know it is hard, but I promise you we'll come through it. Um, you know, tough times don't last, tough people do. And I, I believe that especially around here, we are very tough people. We are going to sit on the right side of what's going on. Right. It's about being on, on the right side of history. At this point. Right. Yes. And I think, I think that's the lessons that a lot of people were, were slow to pick up on when, I mean, this has been, you can talk about divisions in our country forever and you can talk about racial tensions in our country for its entire existence. But uh, people are now starting to, uh, just, unfortunately it took, it took, degrees of extreme measures and we will continue to see how this how this manifests itself in our country but it is it is good to see the world not just the country coming together on these points in a way that is that I think can be such a such a deep source of healing it can be I've got real my grandma is from Morocco so she is a first generation immigrant um, and I've got relatives that live in Paris and they were sending me videos of the parades and protesting parades in Paris. And it's just, like you said, it's, it's uplifting to see that everybody's got our back. We're the right side of history. Um, to, to understand that, yes, we know our history. Why don't we change for the better? And I think we're on that path. Um, finally, it took what nobody wanted to happen ever to get to this point. But sometimes, unfortunately, in history, that's what sometimes it takes almost a wake up call. Yeah. And I think, I think we have that wake up call personally. That's my opinion. You know, not everybody agrees with everybody. And that's the beauty of America. We have that right to not agree, but to respect everybody's opinion. Um, so I'm hoping we come out on the right side of history with what we all really deep down know is right and follow and understand that these peaceful protests are for the right reason. Um, that's just, you know, that's my two cents. I, I really, I respect everybody that's out there on the front lines on both sides because I've got friends in the military that are forced to go to action in this sense, but are on the other side with their beliefs. Um, so it, there are good people on both sides. Yeah. And, right. and I truly believe that we will come out on the right side of history. It may take a little time, but you know, we, we the, the motion has been started and, and, I'm excited to be on the other side at the end. And that that's the message I think that that you're seeing that you're seeing so many people just just acknowledging that this is that this is what it's what it's going to take unfortunately for people to recognize us as a whole that this is indeed the right side of history. But I we are here unfortunately to talk about a great figure in history exactly. in the state of Tennessee. And I, and I think that's not the spin that I want to put on this conversation, Jonathan, but I think, I think that it's a legitimate, a legitimate way to discuss the legend in the state of Tennessee that is Coach Johnny Majors, who passed on earlier today as we're taping this on Wednesday at the age of 85. Uh, legendary icon in the history of the state for the for his accomplishments as a player and as a coach uh, at Tennessee for his accomplishments throughout college football as a national championship winning coach for Pitt 
in the 70s and just yeah. what just what a what a person it seems that he was to to come in contact with i was never fortunate enough to i only have the stories that are written and that are told yeah. by people who have encountered him and know what he means not just to the program to the tennessee vols fan base but to the history of the state not just coach majors but his family as a whole they are they are written across the history books in tennessee he, like i put on my social media post today personally he is he is tennessee like if when in my mind obviously football i'm a little biased in that sense but when you think of tennessee you think of johnny majors and people like johnny majors he was the ultimate class act um Unfortunately, I didn't have as many run-ins with him during my time until my senior year. Um, for past instances that you know are public, but not as you know uh, followed by as many. But there, you know, everybody kind of knows what I'm talking about with that. Sure. But he, when he did come back around the program, you would never have known he was gone for 17 years. He was the ultimate Tennessee fan. You, he walked in our meeting room December 1st of 2008 when Lane Kiffin was hired. Had tears in his eyes. He was hes so passionate about Tennessee. And anybody that always says, oh, well, I bleed orange, I bleed orange. Nobody did more than him. And it did not hurt anybody more than him physically to not be there every day like he wanted. He was the ultimate class act, knew everybody by name, didn't matter. If you needed something, he would say, give me a ring. I will help you in any way I can. He's just, I mean, even after I was gone, go back and I would, I would run into him. Same thing. And if you ever need anything, get in touch with him. He did not have to do stuff like that for not just me, but everybody. That's what Tennessee is. It's a melting pot of everybody because it's you, the beautiful scenery of just the, the Smoky Mountains. But then you're not far from Nashville. Okay, the whole state itself. You get anywhere from Memphis to Knoxville or Johnson City. You get so many different backgrounds. And that's what's so lovely because then they all end up in Knoxville on game day. That's right. You know what I mean? And he was the epitome of what, everybody loved and just cherished. And it's, it was a sad day. I found out about, what, 8, 8.30 this morning, Eastern time, or somewhere in that range right before I started my online uh, continuing ed, uh, education class. So right before that, and it was just kind of just sunk a little because knowing a great Tennessean, much less a coach, um, had, had passed. Well, and, and I saw a beautiful piece written by Ryan McGee of ESPN, who obviously is a, is a graduate of Tennessee, whose roots are also deep in this state. And it was, it was essentially everybody, the, the thesis of the, of the piece was everybody needs that one person in their life who you just call coach. Like yeah. whether it is someone from, whether it's somebody who was actually a coach, whether it's somebody who's just over the course of your, of your childhood, of your maturation process into 
what fully forms you as an adult uh, of either sex, be it, uh, be it men or women, just that one person in your life, somebody in your athletic, uh, in your athletic youth and in, in, your, in your development process that you just refer to as coach. And there was, there was a, a graph that I, that I was really, really hit by, and it's why Ryan McGee is so much better of a writer than I am. But it says to arrive at he was a he was a videographer for the Tennessee football team during his time at the university. And it says, quote, to arrive at that job each day, I walked across Johnny Majors Boulevard to get to the practice field. I walked through a museum that displayed the orange number 45 jersey worn by Majors during his years as a balls running back two time SEC player of the year and 1956 Heisman trophy runner-up. As I entered the door each day, I saw Johnny Major's College Football Hall of Fame induction plaque. As I hit the stairs to go to the video office, I passed by the 1986 Sugar Bowl Championship trophy won by a team Johnny Major's coached. Just all over the place. And so, so someone who people most associate with happiness. And this is the kind of happiness in their sports lives and what it, how it kind of bleeds through to the rest of your life in areas where you may be struggling. Johnny Majors, the care and consideration that he took with people, the efforts that he made, as you were referring to, uh, to, to make sure that he was a source of outreach for everybody. This is the thing that kind of ties into a larger conversation about where we are in today's society, things that truly unify us. And I thought for a long time, that sports was almost a, as a, as a superficial solution, that the, the, the things that sports stand for are great and are good and are important for people to learn as values in their life. But it, when, it, when it comes to things like this, maybe, maybe it just doesn't hit the right notes. But then you realize, well, in sports, this is the one thing that you're referencing where everybody is unified in Knoxville on game day and Johnny Majors amplifies that kind of unity that sports can give us, and I saw that unity in in across the state and across the college football landscape, across across the sports landscape. Really, in the morning of this guy who was such an important figure. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Honestly, um, there's a reason why. <laughs> kind of how you said it, he writes better than you. There's a reason why I don't write papers. It's a lot better than me. It's a lot better. You give me a math problem, I got you. You tell me we need to go have a public speaking deal. I got you, right? Papers or both screwed. Um, okay, so I'm with you. But uh, on a serious note, I mean, it's just look back at the times kind of going how we talked a little bit earlier about what we're going through as a country right now. Think about the times when he was coaching. What was happening without social media, and without all the big super amount of publicity everything gets right now. And he was able to take people from every background all over the country and make them love each other as men. That says more than a winning record, in my opinion. That says more than X-time national champions or Super Bowl uh, champions. When you can take young men, 18 – oh, I want to call it 17. So 17 or 18 years old to 21, 22 years old, and you can get them from Miami, Chicago, Wilmington, you know, all over the country. Everybody's got a different background. And you can get them to mold together 
and love each other as brothers without all this craziness of the publicity going on, that says more than wins and losses. And that is what he did. In my opinion, better than anybody. Maybe I'm a little biased because of Tennessee. But you say his name anywhere in the country, they're going to know. It's just what it is. Exactly how you said. There's always that one person people call coach. In Tennessee, there's two. We've been fortunate, in my opinion. Johnny Majors, Pat Summit. Yeah. yeah. On, in men and women's sports. To be honest with you, there's a reason why people hire Pat Summit to give football coaching clinic speeches. Because they had that command. Because people knew when they walked in the room, they weren't there for whatever reason. They were there because they knew what they were doing and people loved them because they were class acts. And that's that's Johnny Major's legacy. And I don't personally I don't think of a, a better one, a better legacy you could have. Yeah, he won a, a lot of games. He did a lot of great things with a lot of great players, but he molded these young men into better people, fathers, husbands, uncles, what you know, whatever. And seeing because I know some of the, I know a lot of these guys that he did cope. Right. And seeing how that they have he influenced their life. And then they're passing down what he passed down to them, to their kids. That's the stuff we want to pass down. And he did such a tremendous job of that. That today was a very, very sad day in Tennessee football history, but more so just the history of good people in our country. Certainly. It's uh, when I hear, when I hear the way that you're describing him, when I read the way that he is being remembered by so many people today, it's, it strikes me as this is the kind of person who we all want coaches to be. This is the kind of this is the kind of person who sets these standards to where you're going into kids' homes into uh, to talk with the parents to recruit kids to college campuses, and you're saying, well, we are going to make sure that we take the best possible care of your son or your daughter. We are going to be an extension of you. We are going to look after your children. Please entrust them to us. And with, with the kinds of backgrounds that you're describing, it's one of the hardest things to do, as we're seeing, one of the hardest things to do in society is to unite people who are from all different kinds of all backgrounds, different. who may not, maybe not necessarily even like each other all that much. But as I've had it described to me so many different ways this week, once you're in that huddle, you are united towards the same goal, no matter what the situation would be. And Johnny Majors, in what he practiced and in what he preached, I think, uh, I think kind, of, kind of sets the standard for the, so many athletes, so many figures in sports who we are looking to for, yeah. for, to speak out and to, to kind of remind us where we need to be, kind of help us stay on track. Johnny Majors was one of these people. And this is an opinion. You said the beauty of America is we're all entitled to an opinion. Um, I personally don't see, because I, I, obviously I watch a lot of football. Um, I can't watch a game and just watch it. Sure. Doesn't, doesn't work that way. And not in my head. I'm breaking it down as it's going. 
Um, I'll be honest. I don't know. I've never said this publicly. I don't have any kids. I'll be honest. If I had if I had a son right now, I don't think I'd let him play college football. I keyword don't think. Yeah. Because I see some. I see these coaches. A lot of them. Not all, by any means. I see a lot of these. A lot of coaches at a lot of bigger schools. They just they're not good coaches. In the sense of I say it that way, you can tell. All day long. Who's in it? Who's, who's the used car salesman? In, in exactly. The, right. Can you teach a kid to understand? Can you adapt from one kid to the other on how to get the same message across, but they don't learn the same way? Can you do that and still have the respect of everybody else? Nick Saban's mastered it. All that like it is. 100% fact. But all some of these coaches, and I'm, I'm not going to say who, I wouldn't send my kid to play there because I know they're not going to learn football systems. They're going to learn why, or they're going to be told what to do, but not why to do it. Right. And that's the negative. Back then when people like Coach Majors, they, you learned what to do, why to do it, and how to do it. Um, that's the difference between when he coached and today. A lot of today, it's you can go sit in the kid's living room and – speak really well to the, to the parents and convince this kid. And, you know, all these coaches want to know why, oh, the transfer pool, this and this. Then stop lying to them all. Yeah. Stop trying to convince them that this and this. Tell them you're going to compete. Best man's going to win, though, and actually mean it. Don't lie to them about it. Back then, obviously, that happens in every, at every school. But it seemed, keyword seemed, because I wasn't around then, that it happened a little less then. Could be wrong. Um, and that's okay if I am. I'm just stating an opinion. But he seemed like he would have been the type of coach that a lot of people love to play for because you had to earn your job and you had to earn the respect. And when you did, it made it that much more gratifying um, instead of just kind of the stuff that happens to you. So it's another lesson. Again, societal societal microcosm that sports is equality in all things. You work the same as everybody else, and you try and you put just a little bit more effort forward than everybody else. And then it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like or where you came from. The job is yours, and that is the again so many other messages that we are that we are getting out. Exactly. Of. I saw a thing the other day, and it hit the nail on the head. If we as a country acted like a football locker room, and I only say football because I played football and the fact there's so many, there's 120 guys in the locker room at college. No. You know, basketball, you got 15 or 20. You know what I mean? Like, so football having the biggest numbers while I'm saying football. You got guys from everywhere. It doesn't matter if you play at University of Texas or you play at Mars Hill University, which is a D2 school near, right near here. does not matter. You've got kids all over the country and every background from every situation you can think of. You gotta get in the huddle. You gotta learn together. You gotta go to 5 a.m. workouts together. You've gotta have that camaraderie because you know at the end of the day, if that guy doesn't do his job, we all lose and nobody's there to lose. It brings people together and then you start learning. You know, so-and-so is like this. So-and-so came from this. I came from this. Maybe I need to be more compassionate or, or whatever that is. Because every situation is different, and you 
you, it's funny, you, you'll see guys that you would never thought would be friends end up being best friends for life. Because at the end of the day, we're literally one human race. Does not matter where we come from. We're all in the same together, and that's what football teaches people. I feel like Johnny Majors, Coach Majors, um, really taught that a lot, that it didn't matter. We're here, and that's the reason why he is the definition of Tennessee. I mean, truly, because he – everybody was loved the same way. Everybody worked the same way. Everybody had to do the same way. It did not matter. And that's what that's what drove it. And uh, it just – it broke my heart to see that today. It really did. To be genuine. That's all you can ask of people. Right. And that's why we enjoy our friend Jonathan Crompton – and that all the times that we bother him to join us on this podcast, we are grateful for it. Even when it, when, when you know, it's, it, it's always, a, it's always a, a, an uncomfortable ask. Hey, buddy, come on the podcast. Let's talk about this great icon who passed from us today. And, uh, and I, I appreciate you always doing it. Uh, you know, and, you know man, any time. Um, best thing is I work my own schedule. So anytime, um, man, I, I love coming on here and talking to you guys are awesome. Um, it just sucks that it was had to be for a situation like today, and especially with what's going on in our country, because so many, so many people have my condolences that what's going on, but also anger and support as well. I think um, I think all those feelings are are very very mutually expressed by those of us paying close enough attention. Yeah to the situation. That's all you got to do. Just got to pay a little bit of attention and you figure it out. Jonathan Crompton at jcromp8 is where you throw him a follow on social media. He is the owner of Jonathan Crompton Realty LLC down there in Asheville. So if you have any real estate needs in the Asheville area, make sure that you give my man a call. I appreciate you, Jonathan, and uh, and stay continue to stay safe and stay yes, well. Sir, you too. And we will catch up again on much lighter subjects uh, here in the Always. near future. So now it's time for five good minutes, something that we do at the end of each podcast that has stuck in my craw, that has been on my mind lately, and something that I would like to share some thoughts with you guys on the way out the door. And so we, this, is, this is the safe space. This is the grind my gears portion of the program that I, you know, this is a new feature. So if you, if you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, uh, maybe let us know, but do so gently. <laughs> I'm a very sensitive person. But because I am so sensitive, because I am so easily triggered, because that is my millennial nature, as many of you have often accused me of, that is what we will spend five good minutes on today. Twitter behavior and the reaction of some people to losing followers in the wake of societal, not even political commentary, societal commentary from figures in sports, be it media, organizations, teams, players, whomever, there has been a visceral reaction to the amount of followers lost because of people making statements on police brutality against the African-American community, on being united against a very, very serious illness that this country has been plagued by for quite some time, and that is racism. Something that we cannot escape no matter how much 
you guys want us all to stick to sports. And it shouldn't be you versus us. It shouldn't be anything this combative. It shouldn't be this loud or it shouldn't be greeted with this much vitriol anytime somebody takes a stance on social media that is morally right. And what all of this is revealing is just how many closet racists there are among us in the sports community and just how important it is for us to snuff them out with this kind of commentary. Because just just because race can be made political does not make, make racial commentary political. And that is the thing that these people who refuse to discern between the messages that are being sent, the people who are so loudly crying for you to hear them and the ones who would just like us to stick to sports. Now, you don't want to be made, and this isn't about you, because you listening have much greater depth than the people that I'm referring to. This is just the opportunity for me to vent my frustrations to you all. You are smart. You are intelligent. You are informed And I like to think that's why you're here, but you're sports fans first and foremost, and that's why you're here. But because you, who I know and who know me, you know that this is on the side of right. And so it is not to you whom I am directly speaking. It's to the people who have voiced these frustrations with their favorite athletes, whether it be Ryan Tannehill, whether it be A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Taylor Lewan, everybody who is united on this particular front, who is united on being on the right side of history. Because that's what really matters in all of this at the end of the day, is that we are on the right side of history, the moral side of history, that we correct the injustices that generations before us have done so poorly. We correct the mistakes that were made in how quickly we previously allowed the conversation to fade just because it is something that has made people uncomfortable, just because people feel like they are being pressured in a certain way. And my response to those people would be good. You should be made to feel uncomfortable by all of this. All of us should be made to feel uncomfortable by all of this, because I have seen messages from across sports media and from across professional athletics, college athletes, people in this community, in this world of sports where for so long it has been sanitized, and this is the thing that broke the dam. And why it's, it's simply why we can't be allowed to stick to sports in this time, because it is that noise that will help make people uncomfortable. And if you can help make people uncomfortable with this, then they will look to find a solution faster because the discomfort has been brought directly to their doorstep. That's why when we discussed earlier the things that happened with Drew Brees, Drew Brees is a part of the problem. Drew Brees is ignoring the issue, and for him to last this long in both collegiate and professional athletics and to still approach the topic of kneeling or protesting what he believed to be a protest of the flag is just blatantly wrong. And it's why so many people, even as there has been great respect for Drew Brees and all that he has accomplished 
and all of the winning that he has done and the Super Bowl championships that he has won, or one Super Bowl championship that he has won, all of the accolades and all of the accomplishments and so many more people who look like Drew Brees and hide behind the flag because it makes people uncomfortable to have these issues brought to their attention the way that they have been. And so that's five good minutes on the idea of sticking to sports in the middle of the climate that we currently all, all of us, together, exist in. And don't forget that. <laughs> all of us, together, we're in this. And I, I, I'm sure people get tired of hearing this. I, hell, I got tired of seeing the commercials about we're all in this together, and that was during the Rona. We, <laughs> we haven't talked about the Rona on this podcast for the better part of two, of two weeks, it would seem. Because this is how big a deal all of this is, has been, and will continue to be. This completely dwarfed a global pandemic in the scope of maybe three days. And now the full week that we have since been discussing these things. And it's a good thing. I hope it continues to be discussed at every turn because it is no longer stick to sports. Sports don't stick to sports. <laughs> it's not just because sports aren't out there. It's because Malcolm Jenkins is sobbing rage monster professional athlete men among man amongst men Malcolm Jenkins is sobbing on social media because he feels so wronged by who uh, by a person who is now his teammate on the New Orleans Saints and that is Drew Brees I've gone longer than five minutes but sometimes these conversations warrant going longer than five minutes but that's five good minutes for this Thursday and that is going to do it for us this week on the 615 Sessions podcast. We'll be back again with you on Tuesday when we will have many more interesting conversations prepared with many more unique voices that we continue to have circulate through our world here on the 615 Sessions. And we are grateful for all of you who are willing to receive them. And I'm grateful for all of you who have been willing to receive them. You guys have been incredibly supportive throughout this and I hope that you will continue to do so. I also hope that you'll continue to support the new people, the new voices in this particular feed, because this is the first full week of you getting the A to Z Sports Podcast Network. I hope that you have enjoyed it. I know that you will continue to enjoy it. You'll continue to get the Big Orange Podcast on Monday, talking all things Vols, the Tighten Up Podcast, the first edition of which you heard yesterday on Wednesday with Austin Huff and Jack Gentry in this particular feed, though... Though, those are not unfamiliar voices, I think, to you guys, because we've had them on a couple times, and those voices will continue to grow. Alex Doherty with the Preds Nashcast, that will make an appearance when there are hockey things to be discussed, and it looks like on the horizon there will be hockey things to be discussed. So you'll want to hear Alex Daughtry's voice in the midst of all things Nashville Predators, and that will continue to happen in this A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. I am going to get out of here and I look forward to talking to you guys again. I hope this weekend is much more, you know, actually I hesitate in saying that on the way out the door. I don't hope that this weekend is more relaxing, more peaceful. I hope that you find peace as individuals, but I hope that this particular discomfort, given what is at the root cause of this of the discomfort. I hope that this continues to be uncomfortable times for all of us, because that is the only way that we will find resolution in all of these things. And I think at this point, 
that it is important to have that particular discomfort in our lives. So, hopefully that you, hopefully you enjoy your weekend, no matter what the discomfort may be, and that you all continue to stay safe, stay clean, and stay hot, Nashville. I love the hell out of all of you guys, and I will speak to you again on Tuesday. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast, powered by Tennessee Tickets. Brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville. Dot com.